Hello everyone and thank you for joining me for this podcast. Autism Spectrum Disorder or ASD is a lifelong neurodevelopmental disorder characterised typically by impaired social interactions and communication and by rigidity to routines and repetitive behaviours. Now it's usually described as a triad of impairments, social and emotional difficulties, language and communication difficulties and difficulties around theory of mind. Signs of autism tend to appear in early childhood, where differences in language, communication and social interactions become apparent. Now, many reasons have been cited for the cause of autism, including genetic, environmental and cognitive factors. Yet, despite extensive research, the exact cause is still unknown. Most researchers agree that it's a combination of factors. In the majority of cases, it's likely to be due to a complex relationship between a genetic predisposition and an environmental trigger that results in an autism spectrum disorder diagnosis. Research also suggests that there appears to be functional and structural differences in the brains of individuals with autism. Children with autism often exhibit the following characteristics, so delayed language, difficulty with eye contact, with facial expressions, body language and gestures, and as I mentioned earlier, rigidity with routines, and changes to routine can actually be quite distressing and result in quite extreme behaviour. The inability to express their emotions in a typical way, an unusual attachment to particular objects, may be over or under-sensitive to touch, and they engage in self-stimulatory behaviour, also known as uh, stimming, like flapping hands or a repetitive activity such as turning light switches on and off. Now, currently, there are no known cures as such for autism. The two main types of treatment for autism, though, namely behavioural and biological interventions, address the behaviours of those with autism. Diagnosis and treatment for autism typically starts in early childhood, and it focuses on addressing social, communication, behavioural difficulties. It's widely believed that the earlier the treatment intervention, the greater the impact. This is why treatment for autism tends to be focused on younger children, although it can occur at any age. There's a wide range of treatments for autism out there, including uh, gluten and casein-free diets, neurofeedback, so basically using electrodes to monitor brain activity, and chelation therapy, so using medication and other agents to remove metals such as mercury from the body. But medical, I should stress, medical professionals don't endorse those. The two main recognised modes of treatment are behavioural intervention and biological intervention. So behavioural interventions address cognitive impairments, so things like communication, social interactions and behaviours. As the name suggests, the biological interventions address chemical imbalances and the difficulties that those imbalances may bring. So, for example, uh, gastrointestinal or GI abnormalities, immune dysfunctions and or detoxification irregularities. Let's talk about behaviour modification. So, behaviour modification is typically done early, sort of like from age two onwards, and it is intensive. Behaviour modification works on building skills and addressing the core behavioural difficulties of autism. It would normally involve a team of professionals 
working closely with the child in the child's family, in their home, or another setting maybe. Behaviour modification treatment tends to be long-term, as the child is supported through developmental stages and transitions such as starting school and adolescence and puberty. Behaviour modification is most commonly referred to as Applied Behaviour Analysis, or ABA. And it's devoted to understanding the ways in which the environment affects behaviour in order to address socially significant problems for children with autism. Typically, an assessment of the environmental factors comes first. So that would include a sort of consideration of the setting which the behaviour occurs. So many motivational variables, the uh, antecedent, which is basically what happens just before the occurrence of a behaviour, uh, and consequences or what happens after the behaviour that determine whether the behaviour is likely to really just occur again. A detailed assessment of how the environment and the child with autism's behaviour interact is crucial because the information resulting from this assessment leads to the planning and the implementation of the behavioural modification programme. Behaviours that are typically addressed are language and communication, the social and play skills, cognitive and academic skills, motor skills, independent living skills and problem behaviour. Progress is achieving the desired behaviour change or progress in achieving rather the desired behaviour change, is typically determined by direct observations that occur on multiple occasions with that same individual over time. An equally important measurement is the acceptability of the interventions and outcomes to the treated individual, as well as the impact on the caregivers. ABA is based on the LOVAS model developed by Dr LOVAS back in 1961 and uses the principles of operant conditioning, uh, something I've spoken about in a few other podcasts that I've recorded. Now, the idea is that behaviour is changed by manipulating the consequence. So, in other words, rewarding a preferred behaviour and punishing an unwanted behaviour, usually by putting the unwanted behaviour on extinction, as it's referred to. Many different behavioural interventions fall under the ABA umbrella. Research by the Paediatrics Journal uh, back in, I think it was January 2010, showed that children who received behavioural therapy showed improvement in both cognitive and language abilities and adaptive behaviour and showed fewer autistic traits. ABA programmes tend to follow a similar structure. Each session is run one-to-one by a tutor, usually can be anything from three to four hours, although it can vary. It must be intense though, meaning a maximum 30 hours a week is required. It's usually done in the home with family involvement. The programme involves a focus on behaviour to bring about a change in that behaviour. It involves something that's known as discrete trial training. This method of teaching involves simplified and structured steps. So instead of teaching an entire skill in one go, the skill is broken down and built up using discrete trials that each that teach rather each step at a time. ABA tutors refer to age-related skills and they help the child with autism according to achieve develop, developmentally apologies, appropriate skills. That's what I was going to say. New behavioural interventions though have been developed that embed teaching opportunities within naturally occurring events. So things like uh, mealtime play routines, bath time. Those kind of interventions are child-led. 
Research actually suggests that these naturalistic approaches can address a variety of communicative functions, such as pre-verbal communication, so eye contact, uh, joint attention, and social pleasantries like please, thank you, hello. In contrast, discrete trial teaching, naturalistic behavioural approaches that have been reported as being less aversive to children with autism. Reportedly, children have had less disruptive behaviour and made greater improvements in verbal attempts during naturalistic teaching conditions compared to the discrete trial format. Although most ABA intervention approaches include a parent education programme, naturalistic intervention programmes are specifically designed to fit into a family's lifestyle and routine so that teaching can occur on a regular, constant basis throughout the day. I want to move on to something a bit different now, and that's to talk about drug therapy. Drug therapy as a treatment for autism tends to focus on treating the physiological or features of autism, such as the extreme sleep deprivation, epilepsy and hyperactivity. Often medical treatment is used in conjunction with other forms of treatment, such as the behavioural therapy. Now, drugs for autism can be categorised really into two groups, the antipsychotic drugs and the SSRIs, or the Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors. Antipsychotic drugs work on changing the effects of the brain chemicals, and they address problem behaviours that some types of autism present, such as aggressive behaviours. Antipsychotic medications such as Risperidone and Aripiprazole uh, treat the irritability symptoms of autism, so things like tantrums and self-injurious behaviours. The selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, though, work on things like sleep disturbances and obsessive behaviours, which can be linked to anxiety in some individuals, in fact. SSRIs like Erflux, fluoxetine apologies, and sertraline are prescribed to address sleep issues in individuals with autism. Medicines prescribed to address the traits of autism are referred to as off-label, meaning that they are FDA-approved and, in fact, the FDA... The FDA approval is for other sometimes related conditions, so things like uh, ADHD or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So the approval has come from another particular use and not for autism per se. But it's not just ADHD. It could be maybe it could have had approval for sleep disturbances or even depression. Those drugs don't typically address the main core features of ASD, is, is ultimately what I'm getting at. And what they tend to do is help manage or reduce the other symptoms, such as the irritability and the hyperactivity, in the short term. Children prescribed these types of drugs are reviewed on a sort of four-week basis, and if there's no clinically important response, then treatment is just stopped. So, arguably, the impact of drug therapy as a treatment is measured more closely and more frequently than the behavioural intentions, interventions rather, as a treatment. Links have been made between autism and gut problems, including constipation, uh, reflux, diarrhoea, bloating, pain. More often than not, constipation is caused by a sensory issue, not just a physical one, such as a child avoiding the sensation of passing stools. Some drug treatments focus on optimising the function of the gut. Due to the influence of the gut on our brain chemistry, the digestive tract must be free of any interference. So, certain drugs prescribed for those with autism remove any pathogens, so fungus, bacteria, parasites, food allergies. Even. They repair the gut 
and the secretory immune barrier and replace necessary enzymes and nutrients. Individuals with autism can also experience epileptic seizures. The epileptic seizures they can experience can range from petit mal, so periods of, periods of absence, usually characterised by a gaze into space and no awareness of the surroundings, to what's called a grand mal, so a full-blown seizure characterised by body stiffening, uh, jerky movements and a fall to the ground, sometimes losing consciousness. If you are interested, there's a number of podcasts I've recorded on seizures. In fact, there's two, seizures and epilepsy. Part one is a, more of an introduction to this as a subject, and part two is an actual interview with an epilepsy sufferer. So if you are interested, do check those two particular podcasts on the channel out. Certain drugs are prescribed to individuals with autism to lessen the frequency or the severity of the fits. As autism is a lifelong developmental disorder, it's important to note that neither behaviour therapy nor drug therapy offer a complete cure. Successful treatment can, in some rare instances, produce outcomes that no longer meet the criteria for an autism diagnosis. However, there are a number of factors that contribute to that, mainly the severity of autism diagnosis in the first place. It's also important to be aware that as children with autism mature, their symptoms may vary and or lessen just naturally. Both forms of treatment have proven success on individuals with autism. However, the success of each method doesn't appear to be consistent across the board. Autism as a disorder varies in presentation and severity, so success rates are best measured on a case-by-case basis. Additionally, a number of factors can influence the success rate of any treatment, namely the severity of the diagnosis, when the treatment started, the intensity of the treatment. ABA treatments are highly effective when they've been personalised for the individual child. Drug treatments appear to work successfully alongside other forms of intervention, like ABA. The biggest criticism of behavioural intervention as a form of treatment for autism is that behaviour is shaped into something that is not natural to the individual. It raises ethical, as you can imagine, ethical considerations. It is right to define success for a child with autism as behaving like a... not is... apologies, not it is, rather is it. A significantly different kind of question. Is it right to define success for a child with autism as behaving like a non-autistic child? I mean, that's a really important question we need to ask ourselves here. On a positive note, behavioural intervention teaches children with autism really functional lifelong skills. And it does address some of the behavioural presentations of autism that parents have reported to have been difficult to deal with. There is increased evidence to suggest that behavioural programmes lead to increased language, social play and academic skills in children with autism, as well as a reduction in some of the severe behavioural problems that are often associated with the disorder. It is particularly effective the earlier the intervention starts. With certain drug treatments, there is the argument that the impact is short-term, at best, And at worst, it requires a lifetime of taking medication. There are also, as I I mean, I didn't allude to it at the time, but it's a fairly obvious thing that there are certain side effects that might occur as a result of the drug treatment. SSRIs have side effects such as weight gain, insomnia, increased agitation, whilst other drugs such as uh, risperidone, an antipsychotic, 
have drowsiness and increased appetite as their most common side effect. There's also an argument that drug therapy doesn't treat the core features of autism, such as deficits in social skills, the delayed or lack of communication skills, and the rigidity with certain routines and structure. These medicines also don't work for everyone, and each individual with autism may respond differently to the medicines. Changes in response to a medicine can occur as time goes on, even when the dose isn't changed. Over time, some people develop a tolerance, so when basically when the drug stops being effective, or sensitization, so when the side effects worsen to medicines. It might therefore be fair to state that most medicines have a limited role in improving the symptoms of autism. Most feedback about the success, or lack of success rather, of both treatments has been mainly based on observation and relying on parent accounts. Therefore, it can be argued that this is a subjective way of measuring the success of either treatment. The data is qualitative rather than quantitative. You may also hear about children diagnosed with autism who reach best outcome status, as it's called. That means that they've scored within normal ranges on tests for IQ, for language, adaptive functioning, school placement and personality, but still have mild symptoms on some personality and diagnostic tests. So what can we say in conclusion? Well, just to reiterate, I mean, autism, autism rather, is a lifelong developmental disorder. There is no known cure. A significant amount of research has been conducted into the causes of it, and research is increasing into the treatment of autism. Given that research has indicated there appears to be functional and structural differences in the brains of individuals with autism, as well as the fact that the main symptoms of autism are displayed behaviourally, drug therapy and behaviour interventions such as ABA have been cited as the two main recognised and proven treatments. But it's important to state that treatment for autism is not a one-size-fits-all approach. Both forms of treatment can and do complement each other in certain cases. I think what's clear is that early intervention is crucial to the success rate of any treatment, and that's why most treatments for autism happen in the early childhood. As a result of early intervention, we know that many children with autism go on to live independent and fulfilling lives. Now, this podcast could have gone on for a significantly greater length of time. There's so much more that I would love to get into, and I'm probably going to expand this one uh, with another podcast on a different aspect of this condition later down the line. But if you've got any questions, let me know at kytosbology at gmail.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Curriculum Press, for providing content for me to use for this particular podcast also. Uh, There's a number of ones on the channel as i alluded to earlier that are related in some way to this particular one so do check those out if you haven't already and get in touch like i said if you have any questions thanks again everyone for listening until next time